Amen. Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're gonna go. Man, hey, how about those Titans? How, how awesome, like, was that? Like, um, you know, I've, I've been reminded over the last couple of weeks as I've watched the Titans that it is, it's very possible to love someone or love something and not expect very much from them, right? And, and so just total confession, you know, I was just pumped that we made it in the playoffs. How many of you were just like excited, like, hey, we get an extra game of football. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it, you know? I was glad we're in the playoffs. Never did I expect us to like march up to New England into the pit of hell itself and to bring down <laughs> the evil empire, but the favor of the Lord was with us. And we, we, we beat the New England Patriots, which is amazing. And you know, I, I'm telling my three boys, I'm like, guys, that's a miracle. Like, you know, it's, it's incredible. God's alive, he's doing great things. And, but we, we come in last night against the Baltimore Ravens, and I don't know if you're into sports or not, it doesn't matter, I have the microphone, and I'm gonna talk about it for a minute. Like, I'm like, guys, no way we're gonna win this game. It's just a game, it's just fun. I'm trying to like temper their expectations, like, you know, because I don't want them to get disappointed. And, and, and then, like, we go and like, we don't just beat the Ravens, like, we took them out to the woodshed and wore them out, like, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was so awesome. And now my expectations are really up. You know, I'm like, anything short of a Super Bowl is a failure, you know? And, and I, I was just reminded, like, watching, you know, these games that it is, it's possible to love something and yet not expect much from it. You know, I, I think about this with my boys, three boys, nine, seven, and five years old. We have a great relationship. They love me. I love them but I'm constantly reminded that they can love me and not expect very much from me. Um, you know, a few months ago, Sydney was out of town. She was teaching at a conference and she has gone for three days and it was just me and the boys all by herself because dads can take care of kids too. And I'm, I'm just like on lockdown taking care of these kids. And the first night, one of my sons who will not be named in the sake of the story, um, he, he said, dad, he said, hey, tomorrow, I'm tucking him into bed. He says, tomorrow, he says, you know, you need to make us lunch, right? I'm like, I'm like, yes, <laughs> who do you think I am? And he said, and are you gonna make us dinner too? And I said, yeah. And then a few moments go by, I'm like tucking one of my other boys in and he says, dad, did mom tell you how to make dinner? Like, do you know how to do it? <laughs> and I was so insulted. I didn't, know if I, I didn't know if I needed to be insulted that he doubted my character, like whether or not I would care for him or my capabilities, my ability to actually care for him. But I, I was reminded that, man, you can love somebody and expect very, very little from them. And you know this, you do this all the time. Like we don't just do it with sports teams, we do this in relationships, right? Like you have friends that you love like crazy, but if you're really honest with yourself, you don't expect much from them. You don't expect that they'll come through. Like some of you are married and you love your spouse and you're committed. If you're just really honest, like in your heart, I wouldn't say it out loud right now, but like if some of you are here and you're going, man, I just don't expect much from my marriage. Some of you feel this like with your adult children who keep running back to the same old addictions, the same old habits, and you go, man, I love them. I don't expect much. And we could, we could go down the list. It is, it is possible to, to love someone, to love something and not expect very much from them. And, and I'm convinced that especially in a place like Nashville, Tennessee, the belt buckle, the Bible belt, we bring this way of thinking into the presence of God all the time. That there are a lot of you that love God, that believe in God, that have a head filled, that your heads are filled with really good thoughts about God, but if you're really honest, you don't expect much from him. A lot of us function far more like deists than we do disciples. 
We go, yeah, God started something, created something, is moving, but I don't really expect him to show up right here and now. I believe he's good, but I don't know if he's capable. Or I believe he's capable, but I don't know if he's good. And it's really easy to spend your whole life in a place like this, singing songs and hearing sermons, but to never raise your expectation into the character of God. I just wanna put all the cards on the table. As we come into the beginning of this year, as we're praying with hundreds of churches all across the city and the state and the nation and the nations, guys, this isn't some gimmick. This isn't just a, a spiritual program. We're going, God, would you collectively raise your people's expectations that you're not just the God who was, you're the God who is, you're the God who will be forevermore and that you do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. That God would break us out of the doldrums of casual Southern Bible Belt Christianity and that he'd raise our expectations that he's alive and well and that he's moving among us. And so for the next couple of weeks, that's, as we prepare, we're gonna go, God, would you raise our expectations? And I love the book of Isaiah because it's just this, there's this moment like towards the end of the book where Isaiah is, is looking at a group of people who they found themselves in a situation they didn't wanna be in in circumstances that they didn't wanna be in, their expectations for themselves were pretty low, their expectations of God were pretty low, they were in exile, they weren't, they weren't thriving, they were just trying to survive. And the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, if you wanna be depressed this week, just go read the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, it's just bleak and it's just down and it's just kinda of like, oh, is this thing ever gonna turn around? But you get to chapter 40 of Isaiah, and if Isaiah was a romantic comedy, chapter 40 would be that moment where you realize the guy's gonna actually get the girl back. You know, it's like the, the music changes and things lift and you go, man, this story's gonna end well. Isaiah 40 is where they begin to turn the corner. And Isaiah looks out at these people that had lowered their expectation of God. They, they were scared of being disappointed. They're scared that it was gonna come through. And Isaiah says, hey, it's time to raise your expectation for what God's gonna do. And this is what he says. Look at Isaiah chapter 40 with me. We're gonna start in verse 28. So beautiful. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He won't grow tired or weary. His understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youth will grow tired and weary and young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope, some of your Bibles say, those who wait, those who trust. It's the same idea translated different ways. It says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So I love the way he starts this. Look back at the beginning of verse 28 with me. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? And if we take ourselves kind of out of church for just a minute and really think through those questions that Isaiah asked, these are really insulting questions because the people of God had heard, and they did know. <laughs> they had spent all their life in the synagogues, they knew the stories, they knew the background, they had seen God move in really mighty, powerful ways, and Isaiah comes to them in the midst of their kind of dire circumstances, in the midst of all of their failed and lowered expectations, and he says, he says don't you know? Haven't you heard? But here's what I want you to see is, is Isaiah is not just asking them a rhetorical or theoretical set of questions. He's trying to reveal this disconnect between their mind and their heart and their life. Isaiah knew that it was possible to know something about God up here, but for that knowledge to never translate into the heart and to never get into the reality of their life. They didn't lack 
intellectual understanding. What they lacked was experiential understanding of who God is and what God was doing. Their theology was not transforming the way they were living Monday through Friday, and he knew it. And so he starts, he says, have you not heard? He says, do you not know? And I think those are such good questions for those of us living in the Bible Belt, because here's the deal. Most of you, your level of knowledge far exceeds your level of experience in the kingdom of God. A lot of you know things about God that you've never experienced. You know things about God up here that have never translated into the fabric of your heart. It's not shaped the way that you're actually living. And so I love this. He looks at these people that need to raise their expectation. He says, have you not heard? He says, don't you know? (laughs) Can't you see what God is doing? And I love what Isaiah does here. Just the strategy is so beautiful. He looks at these people who have low expectations And he says, hey, we need to to raise our expectations. We need to raise our sense of hope for what's about to happen. And he does that not by pointing them to a greater understanding of themselves, but by pointing them to a greater understanding of God. And this is so important. Like we, we we live in a world that is so obsessed with ourselves. You know, Isaiah doesn't look out at the people here in Isaiah 40 and he doesn't, he doesn't pass out like a gifts assessment. Let's figure out who's good at what. He doesn't do a SWOT analysis. He doesn't have them take the Enneagram for the 11th time and sit around and talk about their numbers. I'm an eight with the four wing with the two, whatever. Like, you know, like, uh, I'm not against any of that stuff. Like, so before you write me a blog, if you're mad, like if you write me an email, Brandon Steele at ethoschurch.org, send me an email. I'd, I'd love to field your questions. Um, I'm not against you knowing yourself. Understanding yourself is so important, but I'm just telling you guys, in a culture, in a culture that is obsessed with understanding ourselves, knowing ourselves, protecting ourselves, caring for ourselves, worshiping ourselves, photographing ourselves, in a world like we do not need more of self. And the way forward is not about you understanding yourself more, it's about you understanding the one that made you. And here's the deal, when our understanding of ourselves exceeds our understanding of God, I don't know what the theological word is, but we're screwed. Like when your understanding of like, oh man, here's who I am, here's who I am, here's who I am. but who is it that spoke you into existence and put you here on earth, right here and right now? So I love this moment. Isaiah says, man, you need to expect great things and it's not gonna be because you understand yourself, it's because you understand the Lord. And he begins to give these pictures. He could have gone on and on and on, but I love what he says. Look at, back at verse 28 with me. He says, don't you know, have you heard? He says, the Lord is the everlasting God. <laughs> He's the everlasting God. If you take notes, I just want you to notice this. Isaiah says, hey, if you wanna find your place of hope and joy and strength in this new season that you're coming in, it starts with you understanding that God is the one that lasts forever. He lasts forever. And this is a mind-blowing reality because we live in a world where nothing lasts forever. That car that you just bought at the end of the year that you're gonna pay on for the next 19 years, listen, you will be paying on it after it dies, I promise. Sorry, I know, that's, I know that doesn't feel very comforting, but it's not gonna last forever. The house that you just moved into, not gonna last forever. The job that you're in, the season that you're in, your physical being, it, it's, it's not gonna last forever. It's just not. And we live in a world where we know that right here, but we don't know it right here. And so a lot of times we live not as though this is all temporary. We live as though this is just everlasting. And I love this. Isaiah says, the Lord, he's the one that lasts forever. 
Even the best things in our life uh, are just so fleeting. You know, I was, I was thinking about this the other night. Uh, our boys were asleep. Sydney had gone to bed. I was, uh, I was up reading, and when I'm getting ready to shut things down, I turn off lights off, lock up the house, and I'm walking down our hallway. I walked past my boys' bedroom. All three of them share a room. And literally, as I walked past their room, I just I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, Dave, that room will not always be filled with little kids. You're gonna blink, and they'll be living in a dorm room somewhere, in another house somewhere, in another city somewhere, starting a family somewhere. It's just, it's just this, that, Dave, this is not gonna last forever. <laughs> so I go in, I'm just like weeping, like crying over my boys. They're like, Dad, what's wrong? <laughs> like, like, nothing, it's okay, I love you, don't leave. <laughs> Just, just praying, it won't last forever. I go in and I lay in bed and Sydney's already asleep. And, and you know, we like to cuddle at night, if you wanna imagine that, you know, we, 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 we like to cuddle. But, but a lot of times it's too hot and so we'll just do the thing where it's just like one foot touches, you know? And so it's like, I'm here, I'm with you, but not too with you, you know? And so I, I slide my foot over and my foot's touching her foot. And I know this sounds morbid, guys, this is just true. Like I'm sitting there and I go, this, we know this won't last forever. There's gonna be a day where one of us is gonna pass away and statistically, it's for sure gonna be me. I'm gonna die first. Like, so I don't, I don't have to worry about this too much, but like there's gonna be a moment where she's gonna reach over her foot and the bed's gonna be empty. And I just thought, man, it's, it doesn't last forever. Even the things on this earth that seem so old, I remember walking through the woods in Northern California in these huge redwoods 2,000 years old, started poking through the ground about the time that Jesus was born. And I thought, man, to us, they're old, but in the eyes of God, they're, they're young. They're new. I love this Isaiah. He, he looks at these people who find themselves in a temporary situation, facing temporary things, and he says, be encouraged that God lasts forever. He outlasts every regime, every leader, every country, every nation, every fad, every little expression of the church. He's bigger than it, greater than it. He's the one who was, who is, and who is forevermore. And you would do yourself well to fix your eyes on that reality. He says, expect great things, not because you're great, but because God is great. He lasts forever. <laughs> I love it. He keeps going. And he doesn't just say, man, God lasts forever. Look back at verse 28. It says, he lasts forever and he's the creator. Look at that, the creator of the ends of the earth. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. The second thing is he made everything. He created everything. You know, you, you learn so much about an artist when you look at the scope of their work. You know, it's like one thing to, to see an artist like pull off a really great painting. It's like, wow, it's amazing. But when they produce a lot of great artwork, it's like, whoa. Or for somebody to write a really great song, but to write a lot of really great songs. Remember uh, this past year, Sydney and I were at the Skirmerhorn one night because we're so cool and cultured, but we're there at the, somebody gave us free tickets. We're there at the Skirmerhorn listening to the music of John Williams. And I don't know if you know who John Williams is, but chances are, if you've seen an epic movie in the last 40 years that had great music, chances are he probably wrote the score for it. So if you're ever doing trivia night, someone asks who composed it, just guess John Williams you'll probably get it right. And we're sitting there in the skirmahorn listening to all of this music, this amazing music, and I'm going, how did all of this goodness flow out of one man? You begin to appreciate a creator when you grasp the scope of the creation. I love this. Isaiah says, you can expect great things from God, not just because he lasts forever, but look at the scope of what he's created. 
We could spend the rest of eternity talking about what God's made and we would never get to the bottom of that ocean of joy. You just think about what he's made. It's amazing to me. Like the other day, I'm looking out our front window and there's these squirrels playing. And and I I don't know why I had this thought. I've never had it before. But I, I look at these squirrels and I'm like, not only did God make, I mean, it's crazy. He thought of everything about them, but he gave them a personality. Have you ever noticed that like different animals have personalities? Like squirrels are very different than cats. I don't think God even made cats. Like, you know, like you have, um, once again, if you have issues, Brandon Steele at ethoschurch.org, send me an email. Um, no, it's, it's crazy to me just the, the personality, like that's a part of his creation that he came up with this. Like every, every sunrise, every time I stand in the mountains or I swim in the ocean, when I feel a cool breeze on your skin, just the reality of God's creation is at work there. I mean, just think about how he made you. It's just amazing, guys. I mean, everything about you, you're a masterpiece. The sense of sight and sound and smell and taste, like he didn't just give you taste buds, but he filled creation with all of these things that have wonderful flavors that people would discover how to put them together. Guys, that's, that's a picture. That's a picture of God's greatness. Next time you're feasting on delicious food, it's an act of worship. It's what he came up with. Think about with our boys, like we laugh all the time in our house. And I'm like, guys, isn't it crazy that God created the sense of humor? Like literally, he was making human beings. He's like, I've got this great idea. I'm just gonna put this thing in you. And when something funny happens, this, this explosion of joy is gonna come out of you. It's God's idea. Like how amazing, how amazing is God? We could just, we could go down this rabbit hole forever. But I love this. Isaiah says, I want you to see who it is that we're dealing with. Here's why you can expect great things because he, he's the one that lasts forever. He's the one whose creativity knows no bounds. He's not gonna run out of ideas. He's not gonna run out of great things to do. Third thing that Isaiah says, look back at verse 28 with me. I love this. He says he's the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. He will not grow tired or weary. Third thing, he doesn't wear out. It's just so amazing to me. (laughs) I mean, we can't even comprehend this. Even those of you that are just like a seven on the Enneagram, just filled with adventure and joy and life. And just, yeah, I mean, right now this morning, you're hyped up on Red Bull and like, you're just like ready to go. I'm telling you, we all know you have a limit. You have a limit. We all do. We all have that, that threshold where we wear out. Remember last year when we got done with Awake in Nashville and Sydney and I got to the end of it and we were just so exhausted. And I got away for a couple of days to just kind of pray and try to refresh. And on one of those days that I was away, my whole goal was just to take a really good nap. Like, I don't know if you've ever been that tired where you're like, man, I can't wait to take a nap in March. It's gonna be fun, you know, and (laughs) I just had it on my to-do list, you know, and I was like, ready. And so I I remember this, it was a great nap. I'm, I'm away and I'm taking this nap. And I promise you, in the middle of that nap, I have a dream and the dream was of me sleeping. And I don't know if you've ever been so tired that you were asleep and had a dream of you sleeping. It's like the movie Inception, you know, like a dream within a dream within a dream. And I was just, I was so worn out. I couldn't hardly put one foot in front of the other. And some of you are like that this morning. You come in, you're so tired. Work's got you, school has you, relationships have you. You you don't know how you're gonna get through this week. And I love this. It says the Lord, he's not like you. He likes you, but he's not like you. He's like you, but he's not at all like you. (laughs) He doesn't get tired. 
doesn't get weary. It doesn't wear out emotionally, relationally, physically. We can't even comprehend that. Not only does he last forever, not does his creativity uh, never run out, but he never gets tired or weary. Last thing that Isaiah mentions. We could make this list so long, but look back at verse 28 with me. He does not grow tired or weary. His understanding, no one can fathom. In other words, he understands everything. <laughs> This is so crazy to me. Like, you know, right now on Jeopardy, they're bringing in all the greatest like, winners of all time, like the smartest human beings ever. And it, even their knowledge has a limit. Some of you are really, really smart. And there's a place in your life, you know it, I know it, we all know it. There's a place where your knowledge, your certainty becomes theory and uncertainty. The smartest people that have ever lived have a limit to their knowledge. God is not like you. <laughs> he understands everything. I was reminded of this over Christmas break. My, my youngest son, Judah, who's five years old, uh, he came in one day and I was cooking something and he's like, dad, how does a microwave work? And I'm like, okay, he's about to expose what an idiot I am pretty quickly. So I, I said, here's how it works. You turn this button and it shoots invisible microwaves and it cooks food. And I honestly thought that was a pretty fantastic answer. I felt really good about it. Um, and then he asked the second question and the third question. The fourth, he's, he's like, well, where does that little button capture those waves and where do they go and how come they don't shoot out the window and cook us and are all, all those waves like in the food? And I'm like, oh, I just spanked him and sent him to his mom, you know, um, JK. But I was like, man, I, I don't know. It took two questions for my five-year-old to expose what an idiot I am. And it's all downhill from there, you know? And I go, guys, God has never had the experience of uncertainty. Have you ever thought about that? That's a completely foreign concept to him. He's never looked at something and thought, I don't know. <laughs> He's never made up a lie at a dinner party to appease friends that he barely likes anyways. <laughs> he knows it all. And Isaiah says, guys, here's the deal. You've been in a season where things have not gone your way. You can expect great things, not because you're so great, but because God is great. He likes you, but he's not like you. <laughs> he's different in every single way. He lasts forever. He does not grow tired or weary. His creativity never runs out. And he understands things in ways you can never imagine. And if that was enough, like if that's all that Isaiah said, that'd be like really phenomenal. And <laughs> be like, whoa. But I love it because he goes on to say, he says, look at what God does. With this infinite goodness, this infinite creativity, this infinite beauty, what does God do with all that infinite stuff? He pours it into his finite creation. He shares it with you. Look at verse 30 with me. It's so beautiful. He says, even youth, grow, or verse 29, he says, he gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. It would be one thing to just sit in the presence of God and to gaze upon how amazing he is. I'm telling you guys, that would sustain you in ways that you never understand. It'd be one thing to just experience it, but the fact that he wants to share that with you and transfer that to you is a totally different ballgame. <laughs> you know, I think about how we fill up stadiums to witness greatness. People pay a lot of money to go watch the Lakers play so they can watch LeBron James. Like, we want to witness greatness, but can you imagine how different it would be if you knew that with the price of admission, you just didn't get to witness greatness, but you were actually filled by his greatness? Like, what if you could go to a Lakers game and then LeBron would come out and share his athletic ability with you? How amazing would that be and how expensive would those tickets be? It'd be crazy. What's the infinite God do? 
He doesn't just put his goodness on display. It says he pours that greatness into you. He strengthens the weary. He sustains the heart sick. He gives understanding where we lack it. He pours out wisdom to those that need it. We could go on and on and on. He transfers his greatness. Isaiah says, hey, the season that you're in is not the season that you're gonna stay in. You should expect great things because you have a great God. It's time to take your eyes off of yourself and put them on the Lord. I go, can you, can you imagine what would happen across our city and in our church if the body of Christ just collectively said, okay, enough with understanding ourselves. <laughs> enough with studying ourselves. None of that's wrong. It has a place. But what if we said, hey, as we come into the year, we wanna fix our eyes on the one that understands what we can never understand. We wanna set our, our focus on him. I love this. Look down in verse 31. This is where we'll land the plane this morning. He says, here's how you get this. He says, for those who hope in the Lord, for those who wait on the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I love this image. You know, sometimes when we think about like hoping in the Lord or trusting in the Lord or waiting in the Lord, as American Christians, we tend to hear that through a very passive lens. Okay, God, you're great. You're gonna do something great. I'll sit back here and wait for you to do it. But the Hebrew people that Isaiah was originally speaking to in the original language, they would have never heard this passively. They would have understood that this was a proactive invitation. To wait on the Lord is a lot like your waiter waits on your table when you were out eating last night. A good waiter doesn't sit in the back kitchen waiting for you to call them for a refill. A good waiter shows up at the table. Hey, you want some more drink? You want some more breadsticks? Yes, I always want more breadsticks. Never ask me again, bring me more breadsticks. You know, like a, a good waiter is always just attentive to the needs of the table. And this is what Isaiah is saying. He says, how do you receive all of God's infinite goodness? You become attentive to the Lord. You become proactively attentive you're attentive to his presence. God, I want more of you. Where are you at? What are you doing? I want to know your heart. You're attentive to his presence and the word and in prayer and in solitude and in fasting and in worship. You're attentive to the presence of the Lord, but you're not just attentive to his presence. You're attentive to his purposes in the world. God, where are you at work? How can I join you? How can I serve? Like, do you know that you don't need God's permission to serve and love the poor? He's already given you permission to do that. You don't need God's permission to join him in serving and blessing the body of Christ and to, to going after the outsider and the lost. He's already given you permission to do that. And Isaiah says, when we will proactively become attentive to the presence of the Lord and to the purposes of the Lord, what happens is the Lord begins to renew us and strengthen us and fill us and sustain us in ways we can never imagine. So this, this season of prayer and fasting that we're about to enter into, guys, this is, this is not, like I said, it's not just a gimmick. It's not just a church program. It's, it's literally us saying, okay, God, as finite beings, we know that we are so often distracted from your infinite goodness. We lose sight of the eternal because we chase the temporal. And so, Lord, would you recalibrate the taste buds of our soul? As we wait on you in prayer, as we wait on you in fasting, as we wait on you in service to the ones that you've put around us where we live, work, and play, as we become attentive to your presence and your purposes, would you renew our strength? Would you fill our lives? Would you give us purpose? Would you give us understanding? And I'm telling you, God is going to do it in ways you can never ask or imagine. So here's what I, I wanna invite us to do as we come into this new year together. There's two questions that are gonna be on the screen as we take communion. 
And you go ahead and put those questions up on the screen for me. I love this. I'm gonna invite you to go get the bread, to get the cup on the bar and the tables here in just a few moments and come back to your seats and with the person that you came with or a group of strangers, or you can do this on your own if you'd rather, to just really process two questions with the Lord. Number one is, God, would you reveal to me any areas of my life where I don't expect much of you? Would you reveal any areas where I don't expect much of you? Just ask the Lord to do that in prayer as you break the bread and as you take the cup. And second thing is, God, would you please help us, not just our church, but Jesus's church collectively here in the city and beyond, would you help us to expect great things of you? As with one of my good friends this past Monday, Shadonke Johnson, he's from Sierra Leone. Some of you may remember he preached the first Sunday of last year for us, just a mighty man of faith. And he, said, he said, Dave, God is the impossibility specialist. He specializes in doing the impossible. God plus anything equals a winning outcome. God plus anything is the majority. And as I was talking to my friend, I just felt the Lord raising my expectations. I went, God wants to do that in you. And so I wanna invite you to stand up. I wanna pray a prayer of blessing over you. And then we're gonna go to the tables. We're gonna take the bread and the communion, uh, the cup together. If you wanna be prayed over, there's some men and women at the respond banner. We'd love to pray over you. We'd love to pray over you. And we'll end our day with communion and worship and a few final instructions. Father, I love you. We thank you for the gift of a new day, of a new year, of a new decade, of a new season. God, would you raise our God consciousness all across the city? Would you raise our awareness of you? Despite who we are and what we know about ourselves, would we become obsessed with who you are and what you tell us is true? We declare you're the one that lasts forever that you're the maker of the ends of the earth, that you never get tired or weary, that you understand things in ways we'll never know. And God, by your grace and your power, we wait on you. We attend to you. God, would you pour that into your church across the city, the state, the nations, and the nations for your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.